2020, almost over, but not yet. I started praying in January, maybe in December, but I got the word maybe mid-January or early January, first week or so. Lord, what is the word that you want to give me for 2020? I think I heard, I questioned it many times, but I think I heard the word peace. Now, I don't think 2020 is going to go down in the history books as a year of peace. And I don't know if in your life there has been much peace. See, it's not only external conflict and confusion that has plagued us this year. It's been internal. It's been anxiety and loss and grief and pain. And yet Jesus is serious. When he is in the Last Supper with his disciples, he is parting ways in a, from, from the physical world. He's about to be raised again, but first he's gonna be crucified. And, and on that way to his crucifixion, he tells his disciples, I have told you these things. This is John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will, you will have troubles. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, the peace that God gives triumphs the peace or the conflicts that this world can offer or bring about in our life. No matter what the external circumstance may be in your life this morning, let me tell you some good news. He has come to bring you and me peace in here. And I pray that as we continue to gather through, through this end of this tumultuous year, see, the trials and the, the it's not gonna come with the flip of a calendar year. There's gonna be more trial and tribulations in life because it's life. But we have a promise that we get to hold on to. The gospel that Jesus came to bring us peace. And this peace in Hebrew and Greek has a different meaning than the peace that we may find in the dictionary. In the dictionary, you may find something like peace is the absence of war and it's the absence of, of trials. It's the absence of conflict. But God defines peace as right standing with God. This Hebrew word shalom talks about right standing with God. God came to bring peace in the sense that he has come to make us right with him, and when we are right with him, we can find rest. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling a little tired. I'm feeling a little weary, just being honest. Nothing extra, nothing, it's just, I'm just feeling a little tired. And I need the peace of God in my life to be my source every single day. Not just once and say, I'm a Christian. I have this hat that I wear all the time that sometimes I want to take off, say, pastor. And I was at a wedding yesterday and someone says, man, you kind of look like a pastor. I was like, I don't know if that's a compliment or, or whether that's, that's not. I'm not sure. I'm still wrestling with that. But bottom line is, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how long we've been walking with the Lord. We need to connect to the source of peace every morning. And so this morning, let's do something together. Let's recharge. Let's recharge. These things, they die, they run out of battery, and then when they do, they're only good for a few things, like doorstops 
Or if you're angry at someone, you throw something. I didn't mean to angle it at you. I'm not going to throw it at you, Taylor. Don't, don't worry. But, but they're, they're not good for what they've been created to do. And when we don't recharge, when we don't connect to the source of peace and hope, what happens is that we also lose our divine assignment. We lose the ability to do what God has put us on this earth to do. And I'm not talking about jobs. I'm not talking even about being a dad or a grandpa or grandma or auntie or whatever your title here on earth may be. You have been called by God to be a disciple and to make disciples. You've called to be a witness and you've called to be an advocate and you've been called to be a son and a daughter of the Lord Most High. And this world is temporary, but on our way as we pass through, let's do as much damage as we can, bringing glory to God and bringing as many people with with us on the journey. Who's in? Let's connect to the source. The peace that God brings is unlike the peace of the world. Peace in the world, we look to external things. We find rest with external things. And we can look to a lot of things to bring us rest, and not all of it is bad. Don't hear that. But we can find rest in a day off. We can find rest by having time with one another and hanging out or just sleeping. But this peace that God brings about is not external. It's internal. And it comes by knowing your Lord, your creator, your redeemer, Jesus. My friend Nick Wojcic, he was here last week. He posted something on Instagram. And the caption was beautiful landscape. And the caption read that rest does not bring peace. Peace brings rest. I hope that we can find peace this morning so we can have rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will bring and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wherever you are this morning, he's here. He's waiting for you to come to him. And so that's what I got in January. And I thought, oh man, how are we gonna close 2020? Well, peace. We're gonna pursue peace and we're going to find peace in exile. I wanna talk today about this season of, of the biblical storyline that we don't talk a lot about. It's called the exile. It's found in the Old Testament. It's actually at the end, right before Jesus shows up and brings about the new covenant in the New Testament. And we find this season of exile of the Israelite people. And if I can sum up the Old Testament really, really quickly, we have Adam and Eve who were created in the image of God. They had fellowship with him. They were in the garden. Everything was great, but they decided to judge what was good on their own rather than trust what God said was good. And so they ate of the fruit. You know the story. And what happened? They were exiled out of the garden. They were pushed out. And then God zoomed in to show his faithfulness. He didn't give up on them. He said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And so we, we brought death upon ourselves. It wasn't God's intent for us to die, but God did not give up. He pursued humanity and made a covenant agreement with his people. He chose this guy named Abraham, normal dude, normal guy, nothing special about Abraham, and promised him blessing and land and promised to make his people great, a great nation. But not only that, he promised to bless the entire world through this people group. And so Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, 
was actually kicked out of his house, was exiled into Egypt because his brothers were jealous. You probably know the story. He went to Egypt, but God's favor was on him. He did amazing things, interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and then Pharaoh entrusted him to be the ruler of basically all of Egypt, second in command. And then there was a famine. And the people of Israel, Joseph's brothers, that people that God was blessing came to Egypt because they needed food, they needed refuge. And so they were exiled from that land because of famine, and they were brought into Egypt. And then there was an emperor or a pharaoh, and he forgot who Joseph was, and so the people were enslaved. The people of God were enslaved for 400 years. Enter this guy named Moses, and I'm only on the second book of the Bible, so bear with me. This goes really, really fast from now. Moses takes his people out of Egypt. They're going to the promised land. They're in the desert for 40 years first, though, right? And then there is a kingdom, finally, people. The kingdom of God has come to earth, but they forget who God is and then instead try to rule on their own terms, just like they did in the garden. And so we see this down spiral in, in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second King, First and Second Samuel, and we see the judges before, even before then, all of this down spiral, all of these people, they can't do it. They can't abide by this covenant that God made with them. They can't follow the rules. And so there's an exile again. And I'm gonna cue up this video. It shows us what the exile was like. We're in the year 500 BCE, or 500 BC, you know, 10 years ago. And so we see God doing a new thing, and he's teaching us how to have peace internally when externally there's chaos. Check out this video. It's about 50 seconds, and then we're gonna talk about the exile. In the year 587 BC, the city of Jerusalem was attacked by the Babylonian Empire. And a year later, the city and the temple were plundered and burned. Thousands of Israelites were taken from their homes and relocated all over ancient Babylon. They became exiles. And so now they're a minority surrounded by a new culture with new gods. Now, some Israelites chose to resist Babylon by revolting or withdrawing. Others gave in, adopting the Babylonian way of life and accepting these new gods as their own. And you might think those are your only two options, but the prophet Jeremiah told them to do something totally different and surprising. To settle in, build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and most surprisingly, to seek the well-being of Babylon and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So this is like a third way. Yeah, it's not compromise or revolt. What does it look like? What does it look like? That's what we're gonna talk about today. The video, I encourage you to watch it. It's the Bible Project. If there is a resource that is great today, was yesterday, and I think will ever be, it's all these videos on YouTube. They uh, summarize biblical themes and books. Check them out, bibleproject.com. The rest of the video is incredible. I wanna answer that question. What does it look like to live in exile? Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Jose, I'm not exiled. I was born here. I've never been kicked out of the land. Well, we are spiritual exiles. We are not called to live as citizens of this earth. When we believe that Jesus is Lord, we now have a different way of life, but we are spiritual exiles in the way that we belong to be separated with God. And yet he made a way for us to have that heavenly citizenship. And so this series is going to be focused on the exile and not only on the season of exile, but on the people that God 
brought to the kingdom, uh, to his kingdom people, to the Israelites, to talk and bring hope and talk about peace. I'm talking about the prophets. We don't talk about the prophets too often because it's hard to interpret the prophet's message. And if you've ever flipped to the last latter end of the Old Testament, you've probably read some really, really mean things from God. And you're like, I don't see God as, as that way. Well, we're gonna talk about a little bit about why it was important for the prophets to bring about his word, the word of the Lord to his people and how we are called to be like those prophets in this time. See, the prophets were what I call realistic optimists. Realistic optimists. Some of us are realists. Some of us see things and you call it as it is. Black and white, right, wrong, no exception, no excuse, wrong, realists. Let me see your hands. If you're bold enough to say, oh, that's me. I'm right and wrong, bold, mm-mm. Nope, that was wrong, punishment, consequence, realists. Thank you for being vulnerable. It's a safe place. And then some of us are optimists. Grass is always greener on this side. Don't need to go over there. In fact, there's no trouble at all. Look, the sunshine just literally just came out, like just one, this right second. Beautiful. See, some realists tend to like be on the edge of pessimism and drama. Everything is always, oh, those are always the bad guys. Yeah, I'm always right there. Oh, not even gonna hang out with them. And then optimists over here, we're right on the edge of idealism and naivete. <laughs> Living in dreamland, everything's just great all the time. Well, it's actually not. Let's stay right here. Let's be balanced. The prophets were balanced. See, they did two things. They warned, they warned the people of Israel, again, again, you have not recognized the Lord as the one true God. You have chosen your way rather than his way. This is what we need to, to we need one another. We need the word of God. We need to be that type of church that warns. And then we need to be those people that bring hope and say, you know what, it is, it is, those things are true, but, but there is hope in the future. And hope is only found in Jesus, in his promises. And the prophets did a great job doing both. So I wanna talk about three things that, that, these, that the exile teaches us. The first thing that the exile teaches us is that this is not our home. This is not our home. Just like the Israelite people were in exile, they were in Babylon, modern day Iraq. They, they, were, they were not at home in the land that God had promised them. And, and so we are not in our home. This world is not it. We were created for more. And so we gotta learn to live in that tension. The second thing is this warning. And this warning is that we have been separated by God because of our sin. And so we need to keep an eye on it. When we see others around us, warning doesn't mean like you're wrong, get right. It means, hey, what's going on? How are you? I noticed something off. I'm here for you. I love you. I want the best for you. But we need that warning. And then it also reminds us of God's faithfulness. See, no matter how wrong we've been, no matter how far away we may have been from God, we're never far enough for his love. He pursues us 
relentlessly. And he came and died on the cross so that we can be reconciled to him. And so we need to be reminded of his faithfulness and we need to be about his ministry of reconciliation. So the prophet that I wanna focus in on this morning, we just heard about, it, uh, heard about him in the video, Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in 500 BCE. He lived in the southern kingdom, Judah. They split Israel in the north, Judah, and the south. Jeremiah spoke to the people in Judah. And Jeremiah was honest. He was honest. He was, he was set apart by God to bring about his word. In fact, in the first verses, God calls him out. And he says, before I formed you, in verse five of chapter one, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, says God. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Some of the things that we read in, in the Old Testament, we need to be careful how we interpret, but this one is safe. This is the word of the Lord for all of us. He formed us before we were in our mother's womb. He has a plan, had a plan from a long time ago. You are a gift from God. God formed you with a purpose. And he also called you to be set apart, to live in exile, to be different than the world. And he appointed you to prophesy. All right, everybody in your house, let's, let's hear you. Say, I'm a prophet. Yeah, you are. You know what prophets do? They speak the truth in love. They speak truth. They do so lovingly. That's what Jeremiah did for the people of Israel. He had his realist side, realistic side, and then he had his optimist side. And that's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the realist side first. Verse 16 of chapter one, he says, I will pronounce my judgments. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me in burning incest to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Again, the people turned from God and worshiped created things rather than the creator. And maybe this morning you're in this place and you know that you know you're, you're not right with God. You know that you've done things that you feel guilty for, you feel shame for. You're like, I don't even wanna tell anybody because I don't wanna, I, I just don't think I can ever be forgiven from that. Well, that is a lie. That is a lie because Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet and that's because he wept for his people. Let me read to you in chapter eight, verse 18. He says, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. See, Jeremiah's heart was broken for his people. Yes, he called them out. Yes, he spoke truth. Yes, he brought about warning, but he did so with so much love and compassion. And that is the Father's heart. And so if you this morning feel far away from God, know that you can never, ever escape. There is nothing that you can do to be too far from the heart of the Father. He gave his life up for you. And yes, he does want you to change. He does want you to stop, but he loves you. And he's gonna transform you from the inside out as we give more and more to him every single day. It's a process. You are never too far away. And this teaches us as exiles because sometimes we want to just be right. We want to say, I'm right, they're wrong, I'm gonna make sure that they know how right I am and how wrong they are. And we miss out that Jesus came full of truth and grace. 
So let's be those people that does both. Yes, we warn. Yes, we're realistic. But we also do so in love. Because there is no other way that we can have peace in this life outside of the Lord. There's no way. And so when I think about the people in my life that are trying so hard to find peace through external means, man, Lord, right now I just pray for them. I pray for every person in this room that that we would all be convinced and know that there is no way to true peace, to fulfillment and satisfaction in this life apart from you. We We can be deceived, but there's just no other way. Father, I pray, I pray that it would your spirit, your kindness that would lead them to repentance. And I pray, Father, this morning that all of us would turn back to you wherever we may be, no matter how far we feel from you this morning. I pray that we would recognize that there is nothing, nothing that we can do to earn your grace. It is a free gift from God. And so I pray, Father, reconcile the lost to you in our lives. We pray for family members. We pray for friends. We pray for our neighbors in our community. We pray that they may know that you are the God of truth and of grace and that you are real. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Realistic. Jeremiah was realistic, but he was also optimistic. He pointed to hope. And sometimes in the prophets, you got to dig and dig and flip the page and flip the page until you find that hope. But it's in there. And when it's in there, it screams at you. So let's turn there. We're in Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm sorry, 29. And a lot of you know the most famous verse in Jeremiah. It's actually one of the most quoted verses in scripture. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and, anybody? A future. That's it. We know that. And in context, it's beautiful. This is Jeremiah's letter of hope to the exiles. They are now exiles. So he warned them, hey, this is going to happen. And then they were actually taken. They were actually exiled. uh, Jerusalem was conquered and these people were enchained and brought to Babylon. And so he writes to them in chapter 29 and he says, build homes, families, create business, plant things, settle down. Not only that, but pray for peace and pray for those that are over you. That's the way of the exile. Honoring the Lord who is truly in control. And then in verse 10, he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So the exile only lasted for about 70 years in Babylon. There was another one afterwards, but 70 years. And then they were gonna go back to the land. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Listen here, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which uh, I carried you into exile. It's a word for us today, that we can find hope in the midst of chaos, that we can have peace when we seek God with all of our hearts. That's what the great commandment teaches us, 
to love him with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And we can have that peace. But not only will God bring them back, he gives us a more important promise. And this is Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. Remember, so he's talking about Moses and the covenant that he made not only with Abraham, but then with Moses. And he brought them out and he said, hey, I'm writing all of these laws. If you obey, you will be blessed. If you don't obey, you will be cursed. And so he's saying that uh, this is a new commandment. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife. What a beautiful picture of marriage. Not very flattering here because it's talking about husbands not loving their wives, but marriage, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is a reflection of the love of the Father towards his people. In Ephesians 5, his church. Let's keep on reading. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. This is good news. This is good news today. And you know, when he's talking about not knowing, like they, you don't have to teach. He's saying that you don't need to know all of the rules and all of the laws because one is coming who will fulfill that law. And so that we no longer have to worry about rights or wrongs in order to be right with him. Let's get right with him. And then watch this heart transform in us being more about the rights than the wrong. Sanctification is a process, but Jesus, is the new covenant. In Jesus alone brings hope. And, and this is the hope that, that, that we're talking about. Jeremiah, as the prophet, he's bringing to these people. He's saying, don't worry about the do's and the don'ts. I'm coming, and I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing about a new covenant, a new way of life, that instead of enslaving to all of these rules, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us to live free in full. John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life in life abundantly, life to the full. That is the life that Jesus has called us to. And there is hope. Ben, you can come back up. I wanna close by sharing Jesus, talking about this new covenant. See, in, in the Last Supper, here we are again, the scene where when he says, I have come to bring you peace. He also took bread and he said, this is my body that is broken to you. And he said, this is, he took the cup. And this is in Luke twenty-two twenty. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. In agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This morning, I pray that you are filled with that hope that God made a way for us to be reconciled to him. That whether you are more so here 
and about the rules and about the right and about the wrong and you're, you're struggling here, I pray that in hope that you would just lay that down before the Lord and realize the one that came to us full of grace and truth. And if, and if you're over here, maybe holding on to other things for hope and peace and doing all you can to just find a little bit of rest. Jesus was that cup, the cup of wrath that shed his blood on the cross so that we could be covered and find rest and peace no matter what be, may be going on. And he finishes John 14 with peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I don't know what you walked in here with. But what I do know is that God wants to bring you peace. Let's pray. We trust God in what your word says. You invite us to come to you. All who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, you say, and so we come to you right now, tired. And we come to you knowing that you alone can bring us peace, that you alone are the source of our hope. And no matter what may be going on in, in this earth, as, as spiritual exiles, as, as people set apart, Lord, that you give us a mission and a hope to hold on to. And I pray that you would speak to every life and heart in this room. And I do pray, Spirit, bring us peace. Give us peace in our heart. I pray for anyone who feels like they're too far away from God. I, I know, I feel it, God. Some of us in here feel like we're lost. We're not good enough. There's nothing that we could ever do to make it up. That is not true. There is good news that you came for the lost. You came for the broken. You came for those that need a savior, not for those that think that they're right or healthy. You came for the sick. I pray, Father, this morning that those who feel lost would be reconciled to you. And if that's you, if you feel far away from God and today you feel and, and, and choose to make the day that you are reconciled back to your father, do it. Say yes to Jesus. And you can do so by just repeating after me and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I recognize that you are God and I am not. I need you. And I thank you for the price that you paid on the cross for my sins. And I thank you for the resurrection that brings me life here on earth and in the life to come. I say that you are my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name.